Welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And we are a couple of Russian, no, Belarusian and Ukrainian twinsies that do a show about entrepreneurship. More specifically, this is a show where we talk about the reality of entrepreneurship to help you get off the ground and avoid mistakes that are easily avoidable, I would say. Yes, we don't sugarcoat things. Although, I just noticed, did you forget where we're from for a second? You said we're Russian twins. It's just, the thing is, when we moved to America, it, the Soviet Union had just collapsed and nobody distinguished between Russia and ex-Soviet Union bloc countries. And so to us, because we were Russian-speaking, everybody just said, you're Russian? When they said, go back to Russia. <laughs> so, and we got sick of uh, correcting them and telling them that we are not, in fact, from Russia, from mainland Russia, that we are from Belarus, from Eastern Europe. But yeah. 25 years later, people still conflate uh, Soviet Union with Russia. But it's okay. We don't mind too much. Actually, if you want to hear the stories of what it was like to come to this country, not speak any English, and deal with some of those difficulties, there is an episode that we did probably about eight months ago called How Bullying Made Us Stronger. Some fun stories anecdotes from there and if you're somebody that experiences that you know dealing with a little bit of discrimination that sucks that everyone has to deal with if you're from another country or look different or act different we talk about how we overcame that in that episode yeah one of the biggest opportunities to grow is unfortunately through painful and uncomfortable moments that we talk about a lot on the show so even though in the moment it might feel awful in retrospect you may even think about your own life and life situations that you have been in the most growth does happen in those moments. One of the most uncomfortable things for many people to deal with when they're trying to get their businesses off the ground is the whole rigmarole and process of trying to attract funds and rich people to give you money to finance what you're doing. Trying to attract investors. In fact, I was at an event about a month ago where a Silicon Valley outsider, he's now an insider, but when he started his company, he was an outsider to Silicon Valley, was telling the audience the story of how he learned that you basically need to treat investors like teenagers. <laughs> and what he meant by that is, when he was going through his fundraising process of trying to meet investors, he found that acting like you're hot shit, that you, know, you don't have time to meet with them, will actually make them wanna meet with you more. So people would ask, to meet at their office, their venture capital funds office, and he would say, I don't have time to go there. I have 10 meetings today. Let's meet at a coffee shop near my office. Basically doing that power play. So, you know, that I think in Silicon Valley may be the case. Some people can do that naturally, some can't. We're proponents of doing what's natural to you. But the reality is that fundraising for most people and playing those fundraising games is not easy, which is why we decided to do this four-part series about how to raise capital from investors. And today, we're really going to be focusing on how do you actually get meetings with investors? Because as we know, they get pitched a lot. They're really busy. That's one of the most difficult things to crack for most first-time entrepreneurs. So you are listening to part two of our Fundraising 101 series called Getting Investor Meetings. What we're going to talk about today is not only the most effective ways that we found of getting in the door with investors, and again, the operative word is professional investors. These are people that meet with entrepreneurs on a consistent basis and make a living and a career from putting money into companies, into early stage businesses to be specific. We're going to talk about our own experience in fundraising and also the experience that we've observed from other startups, startups that we've advised, startups that Sergey, of course, works with through the Entrepreneurial Institute at NYU as a venture investor, and what is effective and what is not effective in the fundraising process. Now, specifically today, though, we're going to be talking about getting meetings with investors. Once you are ready, once you have some validation, as we talked about in part one, if you haven't listened to that, a few weeks ago, we published an episode called Fundraising 101, When to Approach Investors. 
So for this episode, we're assuming you feel like you're ready to approach investors. How do you actually get it done? More importantly, what are the common practices? What do investors expect? Now, the venture capital and even the startup investment discipline and field is relatively new. Back in the day, 20, 30 years ago, actually more like 30 years ago, it was totally okay to put together a 50-page business plan and literally mail it to venture capital funds and get meetings that way. That could have been effective. Of course, a lot has changed over the years. There's a lot of people now because it's so much cheaper to start a company that approach investors. So they've become good at avoiding meetings with companies that are not ready. So how do you make sure you navigate that and actually get meetings that get results? We're going to be talking about how to get meetings through cold outreach. That is possible. We've done it successfully before. And focus more of the conversation on warm strategies, how to get meetings with investors through introductions. There's nothing more frustrating for a first-time entrepreneur than realizing that a lot of people that get funded seem to be in some sort of old boys club. That's what it looks like. You know, Maybe they had an uncle or a brother or a friend who wasn't a venture capital funder, knew somebody who was or somebody who's rich, and they're the ones that seem to be getting all the money. But the reality is that most entrepreneurs that get started don't automatically have a network of institutional or professional investors in their pocket, and they have to build that from scratch. And when Vadim and I came to New York City in 2012 and started a business in 2014, we really had no network to speak of. We certainly didn't know any investors. We knew very few entrepreneurs. We had started going to some networking events and we worked for startups, sure, but that was really the extent of our network. And when we realized that we would need to raise capital for our business, we really were starting from zero. So our job was to figure out how do we make sure we can get in front of investors even though they typically don't like getting unsolicited cold emails. They ignore a lot of them because they see a thousand pitches a year, sometimes more, and they get that much more people reaching out to them cold. And you just physically cannot reply to every single cold email, even if that email is the next Uber, right? Even if that email is coming from somebody that's a super fundable business, you just can't logistically reply to all of them. So, do you remember the strategy that we employed when we decided we needed to generate some relationships with investors because we had nothing? We put on our digital marketing hat. So if you're a digital marketer, and specifically if you have experience in email marketing, you know that the cold emails that get results are the ones that are A, going to the specific targets that will experience the pain that you're addressing, and B, that have messaging that fits that target. When you're approaching investors cold, you're doing the same exact thing. You see, investors, they have different things that they're interested in. They have different sectors that they invest in. They have different risk profiles and risk appetites. And all of these things need to be considered when you're compiling a list of people to reach out to. So first of all, and first and foremost, you have to remember that it's not just a numbers game here. You're not spraying and praying. Emailing a bunch of people that have money will yield no results. But emailing people that you sense care about whatever it is you're building, care about the industry that you're trying to get into, are much more likely to respond. So one example could be angel investors who used to be founders or early operators at companies that did something similar, maybe not directly competitive, but they did something similar. They went in the industry, they understand the problems of the industry, and they might want to finance someone that's trying to tackle that problem because they intimately understand it. Another thing Vadim and I did is we built a target list of angel investors and venture fund leaders 
who actually were of Eastern European descent. You can bet that our response rates for those people were much higher because there was some buy-in already. There was some trust that, you know, we have the same cultural background, the same maybe business education, and therefore they might be able to take a chance on us just because even our names are similar. The other thing that we did is we reached out to our university alumni network. We looked at who are all the entrepreneurs and angel investors who came from our university, even though we're reaching out cold, Again, there's some trust there because we're alumni of the same school, so they know we're not completely strangers, and we got a much better response rate that way. Whatever you can do to remove that cold approach and make it as warm as possible will increase the chances of you getting response. And again, I mean, think about it from the perspective of, let's say you're building sales software, right? I'm using that example because that's what we did. And you're reaching out to an investor that also built sales software and exited successfully with their company and now became an angel investor right? They know exactly what you're going through. And even when you're messaging the email that you're writing to them, there's a sense of camaraderie that they're going to feel from another founder that's trying to solve problems in the same space. You are still a stranger to them, but you're not emailing them completely out of the blue and treating them as a transaction or somebody with deep pockets. You're emailing them because you trust them, you value their opinion, you value their expertise and you want to connect with them. And quite frankly, they may want to connect with you because they're also still interested in innovating in this space and talking to people purely that are trying to solve problems in the space as well. Now, a couple of months ago, we released a series called Sales 101, where actually one of the parts of the series was getting meetings. And there is a little bit of overlap here. When you're sending that cold email to that potential very targeted investor, you are going to have to do extra work to build credibility in that email to increase the likelihood of them responding. So just say increase. Increase. (laughs) Increase the likelihood of when responding. No, but um, let's not make fun of speech impediments here. But the point is that if you want somebody to respond, if you don't know them, then implied that you have to prove credibility somehow in your cold outreach, whether it's through you know background or positions that you had, your education, traction in the business, whatever it might be. So go back and listen to that episode of getting meetings from sales 101, because there's going to be some overlap in how you actually construct that cold outreach strategy and exactly what you're going to say in those emails. So we'll wrap the conversation about cold outreach here, because quite frankly, it's not the most effective way to get meetings with investors. Again, investors, the cadence that they're used to is getting an introduction from somebody they know. Or finding someone themselves through you know their own channels of doing outreach themselves. Exactly. I mean, they're going to pitch events all the time. They're getting referrals from other like earlier stage investors. For example, they have associates. They go to events exactly for the same reason to meet early stage entrepreneurs so that they can identify them before they identify another investor and pretend a deal might be lost to somebody else. But when it comes to cold outreach, some people think you can't do it to get meetings with investors and we're here to say, yes, you can. We've done it successfully, but still warm is a better way to go. So now I want to talk about how we were able to generate warm meetings with investors, even though we had none in our network. And quite frankly, actually, just so you know, we got this advice from another early stage entrepreneur that successfully raised millions of dollars from investors. I will also add that when you're doing your outreach strategy and you're creating this list of ideal investors that you're going to have, start with reaching out to and trying to get meetings with investors who are maybe less than ideal in the beginning, right? They're still in your target, but maybe they're not the most successful founder or the biggest fund or whatever, just so that you can figure out what kind of questions they ask 
and make sure you're equipped to answer those questions in an educated way before you start meeting with some of those other investors that you really, really want to be part of your round, right? You want to learn how to pitch before you use those pitches on the more coveted investors that you approach. But that strategy that Vadim was talking about is actually very, very simple. Now think about it. Why is a warm introduction more valuable? Somebody is putting their neck on the line. Somebody's saying, hey, you should talk to this person because you trust me. And therefore, there's a chance that you might trust them as well. It creates instant credibility and it de-risks that conversation. In other words, the fact that you'll waste time with somebody significantly. Now, not all introductions are created equal. So you want to make sure that you're getting introductions to investors from people that they trust the most. One of the best types of introductions to get is from another entrepreneur who's already in their investment portfolio who is doing really well, right? So yes, pretty good to get an introduction from any entrepreneur in their portfolio. Even better to get an introduction from an entrepreneur who's doing well because they're going to use that as a positive signal. This founder is doing well. They probably know other people who might do well as well. So how do you do that tactically, Sergey? How do you get an introduction from another founder and entrepreneur? Do you just cold email a bunch of portfolio company CEOs and ask them for an introduction? No, <laughs> no, because, uh, and I know that you asked that question rhetorically, you know that the, what the answer was, but no, because they don't trust you yet. Why would they use any of their social capital to give you an intro? So your job, now I know it sounds like it's a multi-step thing, but it really is, that's well, the is, only yeah. way to work. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, it's gonna take some time, but your job is to establish trust with that person who you want to make the intro. So, Here's what we did. We made a list of, first of all, the investors that we wanted to talk to, and we looked at their portfolio companies. And we looked at founders of startups who were about six to 18 months ahead of us. So they just raised anywhere from half a million dollars to $2 million within the last six months to a year or so. And so that tells us they're a little bit ahead of us, but they just went through that process. The reason why we targeted those people in particular is we wanted to increase the likelihood that those people would respond and we needed them to have some empathy. So if they just went through that process, if they are not so far ahead of us that they're so successful that they you know, can't even relate to what we're going through right now, they're gonna have a lower chance of responding. But if they just went through that process six months ago, they're gonna wanna help another founder out. So we would just send an email to those founders saying, hey, Michelle, uh, I saw that you started a software as a service company as well and you were successful in raising some capital. I'm just starting to learn how to even raise capital for a software business. I'd love 20 minutes of your time. Seems like you're doing really well. I'd love 20 minutes of your time to just get an understanding of what you did right and what pitfalls we might wanna avoid. So it's a request for an advice call to learn about fundraising, not a request to get an introduction to an investor. Now, the good thing is here, you're being direct. You're actually saying you want to learn about fundraising because, well, guess what? You do want to learn about fundraising. But also, when the time does come when you do build that trust for you to ask an introduction to an investor, they probably already had an idea that at some point you might do that. And if they trust you, they'll happily do that for you. Now, you could also play an even longer game. You could reach out to founders that are in a similar sector to you and you can ask for advice on your product or service or on your business or the stage that you're at in terms of customer acquisition, let's say, for example. And then maybe in a follow-up conversation, if you agree after the first call to stay in touch and, and update them on your progress, maybe then you follow up, have a second meeting with them that's face-to-face, maybe grab a coffee, again, establish even more trust and there ask them for an introduction. So I'll tell you exactly what happened when we tried this strategy. We reached out, I think we made a list of 30 entrepreneurs of this profile. We had 15 people agree to calls with us. So that's a really good hit rate. 
Within about a week, we we, had, we were scheduling uh, these calls and it took a couple of weeks to have these 15 calls. And each call was exactly what we promised the founder, 15, 20 minutes. Some founders were really friendly and they let us talk for half an hour, basically peppering them with questions about fundraising. And at the end of every call, we would say, thank you so much for your time and, and giving us this advice. Uh, we're gonna follow it. There are these one or two specific people, and we would say the names of the investors that we would love to, to get introductions to at some point if you would be comfortable. And what most people ended up saying is, that's fine, but I want to see that you're actually building something here. I want to see that you have some traction. So why don't you get back to me in a couple of weeks, tell me how your process is going, how the business is going, or in a month, and I can see about that introduction. So almost everybody, I don't think anybody said no outright. Some people actually offered the introductions immediately. They said yes immediately. And most people said yes, but come back when you have some traction and you know continue proving to me that you're legit. And that's where we would do what Vadim said, which is do a follow-up meeting in a couple weeks or a month where we either meet in person or do a call or even just send them an email showing some of that traction and then making the ask there. Now, some people have at least somewhat of a network. So as always, what we say is if you have any entrepreneur that's raised money before in your network, even if they're not in the same industry as you, do talk to them first. They're gonna take a meeting with you and they're probably gonna be more than happy to give you advice and you might even get an investor introduction from that conversation alone. So always start with what you already have, the value that you've already been able to build throughout your career. Now, of course, the other way to get warm introductions is not just through portfolio company founders, but also through other professionals that interact with investors. So that could be accountants, it could be lawyers, uh, it could obviously also be advisors uh, that you have now or that you're trying to attract into your company. The closer the business relationship with the investor, the warmer the introduction will be because there's more credibility there. But there are different types of people that you can go to for those introductions. This is also why some people join programs like incubators and accelerator programs. Some of them take a good amount of equity up to five, six, seven percent but if you have no network at all to speak of, especially in a new city, sometimes an accelerator program could be a great way to really quickly embed yourself, get that automatic credibility by having that badge from the accelerator and embed yourself into that initial network to then get introductions from those people and introductions from the people after, etc. So accelerators could be a viable way to inject yourself into the network, but you don't have to be in a program like that to start getting access to those people. You start kind of peripherally building your network with people that might know investors, and eventually, before you know it, you're gonna have that network yourself. In our next episode, we're gonna talk about the details of how to actually have the conversation with an investor, how to make sure that you lead that conversation in a direction that has a positive outcome where you can get closer to raising that round, what the strategy might be behind how you structure that fundraising round, how many investors to have, uh, what how much to ask from each one, things like that. And of course, we'll do a fourth episode about the actual terms of the deal, right? Going into the actual negotiation for that deal. But before you meet with that investor, we do wanna give you some suggestions of documents that you should prepare. And quite frankly, some of the things that they might ask for before they even agree to a meeting. So whenever a founder comes to either myself or my boss and asks for introductions to investors, first of all, we don't make introductions unless we have conviction in the business and that it's gonna work and there's some traction. So we need to get that credibility and that trust ourselves. But once we have that and we're ready to make intros, we'll introduce people to 10, 15, 20 investors in our network because we wanna help them put together a round, especially if we're considering, even just considering making an investment ourselves, 
we will definitely make introductions to other investors. So the thing that we always want people to have ready is number one, almost anyone that you ask an introduction to an investor for, most investors will expect to see some version of your deck. Does that mean you have to have a full-on, you know, 20, 30 slide presentation with basically something that's a simpler version of your business plan, a full-on business plan already done? No, that's not it. But you should have some abridged version that's emailable, ready to send by the time you're asking for those introductions. So sometimes that's just an executive summary. It could be a two-page, one-page executive summary that's almost a mini version of a deck or a simple 10-slide deck, let's say, that covers the basics of what the business and opportunity is. Remember, you want to save the actual full deck and presentation for when you meet them in person. And so you want to give them just enough to pique their interest and to actually get that meeting, but not too much where you'd have to actually be there in person to explain whatever's in the assets that you sent. But the basic things you have to obviously understand before you meet with any investors is a clear explanation of the problem you're solving and what you think the appropriate solution is, the target customer segment that you're going after, a competitive analysis so that just to show that you understand there is competition and how you're going to compete, the market opportunity, right? Investors are excited by businesses because they want to get a return. So you have to show them it's a big market and some basic financials. You know, different investors want different things. They Each of those things that I mentioned, they might dig more into, you want to just be able to talk about it intelligently enough and have at least some basic understanding of it, especially in those early investor conversations. Another thing that most people will ask for is a quick blurb, right? If they're going to be sending an email on your behalf with your deck, they want something that's easily forwardable. So you should have a blurb, which is basically just two or three sentences about you, your team, your business, really just a quick summary that provides credibility and makes somebody interested enough to then want to be able to read a deck or want to take a meeting with you. Now, by the way, should you send a pitch deck to everybody? Is that the common practice? Will the investor expect a deck before we meet in person? The answer is no, actually. Oftentimes, if the intro is coming from a warm enough person, from a credible enough source, a quick blurb that does a good job of explaining what we just said, why they should talk to you, basically. That credibility piques their interest. A quick blurb can be enough for you to secure the meeting. In other words, if they don't explicitly ask for your financials and your pitch deck and so forth, then don't send it because there's no reason for you to potentially disqualify yourself before you even had a chance to talk to that person. In other words, you don't know what they want. You don't know what they're interested in, so you might as well send less information, but pique their interest with as little content as possible. Yeah, Unless they ask for it, then you have to do it. Yeah, exactly. We're just saying be ready to send it, but you can also push back sometimes. If it's an investor that you're not ready yet to share, let's say financials, you can say happy to send that once we get a chance to talk on the phone at least, right? So you can control that process a little bit depending on how much leverage you have, depending on the relationships here at play. That's really up to you. So that's it for part two of our series Fundraising 101. Again, next week, we're going to talk about more of the nitty gritty. What do we do in the meeting? How do we make sure that we actually structure these meetings, schedule enough meetings to close a round of financing? Hopefully you found this information somewhat helpful. If you did, we would love it if you could take wherever you're listening to this episode. Usually there's a share button right there. Send it to just one friend or post it in your Instagram stories and tag us at The Mentors Podcast. We'll make sure to give you some love in our Instagram stories if you do. And if you are curious about hearing other stories from founders that have successfully raised financing, just go scroll through all the episodes that we've done. We'll usually put it in the title, how much money they've raised. And usually within that interview, we would have asked, how did you get those investors? 
go ahead and listen to those episodes to get some real-world case studies for how other entrepreneurs do it as well. Have an excellent Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time with your family or friends or whatever it is you're doing these next couple of days. And we can't wait to talk to you on Monday. Love you. Love you. Come on, come on.